right, Bitcoin accumulation country. I'm Coin Icarus. This is the Fun with Bitcoin podcast, sponsored by CryptoCloak's 3D printing for all your 3D printing needs, and Swan Bitcoin for all your dollar cost averaging and SAT stacking needs. And we have a very interesting, detailed interview today with Nadav Cohen, um, who covers everything and anything DLC. So this is pretty cool. So DLC stands for discrete log contracts. And that's about as far as I can go. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Um, so without further ado, um, we are going to dive right into this interview with Nadav Cohen. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. Joining me today is Bitcoiner and software engineer at Sherdbits, Nadav Cohen. Nadav, thank you very much for joining me on my pod, man. I really appreciate it. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So um, my first introduction to you, which we're going to dive in a little bit later, was actually at last year's, uh, I believe it was the first hack sprint. Um, I had never heard of DLCs or PTLCs or any of this. And um, at the time, I didn't know who you were. So this guy, you come on and start to explain this incredibly complex, um, to me anyways, incredibly complex tech. But I could see right away that it, I, I see that it's going to have real world impact and it's much bigger than people think. So anyways, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm super glad to have you on. And uh, yeah, we're going to dive right into it. Let's uh, let's go into your uh, your rabbit hole story. So where where were you before Bitcoin? And, uh, you know, how are we here now? Yeah. So uh, before Bitcoin, I was in college at the University of Iowa. Um, I was uh, an undergrad studying math and computer science, uh, doing research kind of in both as an undergrad. And uh, specifically, my computer science uh, background, my research was in formal verification, which is essentially the field of uh, verifying things on computers. So like computer proofs is another way people put this. So. I was doing primarily some more experimental, just kind of like math proofy stuff, because that was kind of my interest. It was a nice intersection of my two uh, uh, majors, but um, kind of the, the real world application for formal verification, uh, well, there are a couple, there's uh, kind of these like life and death systems. So people do a lot of formal ver verification for like life support systems and airplane circuitry and things like this. Uh, to ensure that that stuff works as it should. But then I think the, the next logical um, place where this could be applied is uh, digital money. So uh, I, I was vaguely aware that like crypto existed, like cryptocurrencies, <laughs> um, because that was uh, like in the abstracts of some of the you know, papers of that, that other people were writing in the research group. Um, but anyway, so I, I came with, with that kind of background uh, as well as uh, a lot of math. And um, the professor who I was working with at the University of Iowa introduced me to Chris, the, the founder of Shared Bits, who was a previous student of his. Uh, and we kind of just chatted. Uh, Chris was looking to hire a software engineer. I was looking to work as a software engineer uh, for, for at least <laughs> a while. And um, I, I knew nothing about Bitcoin. I like downloaded the white paper the night before my interview with him and like <laughs> skimmed it and i was like okay i mean 
some, some of this makes sense. I, I, I won't say I understand this, but not coming in completely blind. <laughs> then went in and uh, chatted about, uh, you know, my, my background and, and things like this. And I think that he just heard in my uh, discussion of how exciting I thought formal verification was that I was um, paranoid enough to, to be a Bitcoin developer. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, formal verification is essentially where um, you, you aren't comfortable with just well-tested code. You need like absolute proofs that like things always work, no edge cases. Like in theory, if you had like a really great formal verification system, you wouldn't need testing at all. Like it would just work. It's true. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, after that, I uh, joined uh, Chris at Sherdbits, and um, we were actually in person for like the first couple months of, of our existence uh, together. And uh, after that, everyone uh, went remote. But um, during that first uh, summer or so, I uh, learned what Bitcoin was by implementing the uh, Bitcoin DRPC client in uh, Bitcoin S, the Scala library that we maintain. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was essentially just like, you know, all the things you can ask Bitcoin Core to do, like get new address and like create new transaction or send transaction or send to address or um, all, all these different commands. I was just like implementing them one at a time, not really understanding any big picture stuff, just like asking Chris a ton of questions. I don't think he got any work done for at least a couple of weeks there. Um, <laughs> but then by the end of it, you know, kind of understood more of what was going on and started working on other projects. And I guess I, I also learned the, the Scala programming language during that time. So I, Chris really uh, took a little bit of a gamble on me with uh, no Bitcoin knowledge or experience and also didn't know the programming language that we were gonna work in. And I was also fresh out of undergrad, never having uh, worked anything other than like an internship before. Okay. So, well, it sounds like it paid off, and it sounds like he, it sounds like he's really good at spotting at spotting exceptional talent. So, you know, kudos to him, uh, and and obviously uh, and to you. Um, so let's uh, let, let's dive into. So I, I think like uh, last year, um, yeah, I, I believe it was last year. The uh, the first hack sprint uh, came out. So what? It, just explain what what you did at the uh, at the hack sprint. Yeah, so if I recall correctly, originally it was going to be an in-person hack sprint over in Barcelona, Yeah, uh, which I was, was not going to be able to attend. But then uh, it, was, it was the April one, so uh, a bunch of you know, travel restrictions had gone out at this point, and I, I think that they decided to, to hold it online. And at that point, uh, I got together with uh, uh, Nickler, and uh, I don't remember if I initiated it or if he did, but then we recruited some other people, including uh, Waxwing. I included, or uh, I got some people over at Sherdbits to join. I think uh, Lloyd Fournier might have at least looked at uh, some of the code, if not uh, other things as well. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, we, we kind of got together around this project to uh, implement um, these uh, point time lock contracts or PTLCs, uh, just kind of a proof of concept um, you on Bitcoin today, just kind of like on main chain, mm -hmm. uh, using kind of the, the new thing, why, why this couldn't have happened too much before this, is that um, Lloyd Fournier had discovered how to do uh, 
uh, ECDSA adapter signatures. So previously we thought we would have to wait until Taproot was in uh, because it's very easy to do adapter mm -hmm. signatures, relatively speaking, in Schnorr. But it turns out that, um, and, and you know, technically you can do most things that you can do with Schnorr with ECDSA, uh, you know, given a ton of extra work, like you know, a bunch of zero knowledge proofs and some other nastiness, maybe some multi-party computation. Uh, and, and so most, most people stick away from that in, in the Bitcoin space because mm -hmm. it's relatively untested code usually. Um, it, it's very complex, a lot of surface area for problems. And uh, it's, there are other reasons. But um, essentially, uh, the, the nice thing here was that it only required very minimal overhead. So there's a single uh, zero-knowledge proof. And uh, it's like as simple as a zero-knowledge proof can get as well. Uh, it's something that also already exists. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's uh, called a, uh, well, it's not too important what it is, but um, uh, it's it's called a, a discrete log equality proof. Uh, but here in the Bitcoin space, we don't use the, the academic term for it. We call it a poodle. A poodle. You've heard of poodles before, <laughs> uh, which stands for proof of discrete log equality. Interesting. Um, they're, they're already used and they have been for quite a while over at Join Market. Uh, to help uh, with something. I think it's protecting against uh, people being able to um, too easily uncover other people's UTXOs by like grieving and, and things like this. But uh, anyway, so it solved a problem there. We were like, oh, that's exactly what we need. So uh, Nickler, who is a, a maintainer, I think, or at least he, he works on it a lot over at the cryptography library that Bitcoin uses. Uh, which is called libsec p256k1. Uh, that's just kind of like the, it, it's its own project that Bitcoin Core uses mm -hmm. um, that uh, a bunch of Bitcoiners have been developing on for a while, like 2014, maybe even earlier. It's It's uh, been around for quite a while and oh, it's wow. essentially our, our cryptography library. It does like all of your signatures of your transactions and generation or not necessarily, uh, computation of pub keys oftentimes and, mm -hmm. and these kinds of things. So it, it's kind of the cryptography library. And so he, uh, who works over there, he implemented the actual crypto for this, just like this didn't exist at all from scratch. He wrote up like a, a, a proof of concept implementation, mm -hmm. had a bunch of to-dos and not many tests or anything like that. It wasn't meant to be like actually used in production anytime soon, but, um, it, it worked. And then, um, I developed the uh, Java bindings so that we could use it over on Bitcoin S. And then we had, um, uh, you know, all the transaction building and signing and stuff happen at the higher level library. And uh, then we were able to execute, uh, I think a couple days after the hack day, we ran into uh, one problem with like the, the bindings between the C code and the Java or the Scala code that uh, took me a couple days over at, at my, job <laughs> of, of spending time on it to actually uh, get worked out. But um, the majority of the work was done during the hack sprint. And then we got like a nice little proof of concept with the GUI and everything nice. where you could execute one of these things. But um, yeah, so kind of this all started when, uh, when uh, I guess Lloyd realized that you could do uh, what are called adapter signatures on mm. Bitcoin today using some not too complicated stuff. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to we're going to we're going to back yeah. up. And, uh, and I oh, yeah. should, by the way, if you're listening to this, you should not understand at this point what an adapter signature is <laughs> or what 
<laughs> those other words were we're, we're going down in level <laughs> i don't know we'll we'll, we'll explain it <laughs> so yeah we're gonna we're gonna back up i just want to to explain uh uh, PTLCs, like what, what is yeah. a PTLC and what is a, a DLC? Totally. So a PTLC, which stands for point time lock contract is a, uh, in transaction, uh, output type in Bitcoin. So essentially it's like a, a contract that you can enter into where, um, you have some funds and if funds get put in a PTLC, then they can be spent in one of two ways. They can be spent either by revealing the scalar to a point uh, and signing with this key or after a timeout with this other key. Mm -hmm. So um, essentially you can think of it normally as uh, kind of a payout in a refund case. Mm -hmm. Normally the, the time lock is for a refund. So you have some funds or you have a, an output that you put funds into. And then this other person can either claim it by revealing a secret to you mm -hmm. Uh, and a very specific kind of secret that has to do with this point. Uh, or after a certain amount of time, you can take those funds back. So uh, if anyone listening is aware of HTLCs, which are hash time lock contracts, mm -hmm. they're very similar to PTLCs. Just instead of using a hash, PTLCs use a point. Uh, and this is kind of the, the key thing that lets us do a bunch of stuff is that we're not using hashes. Lightning uses HTLCs, right? It does, yeah. So yeah. it's the, kind of the, the fundamental construct that allows routing. Um, so in a, in a Lightning channel, if you have Alice who has a channel with Bob and Bob has a channel with Carol, then Alice is able to pay Carol by setting up an HTLC to Bob. So essentially, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Alice knows the hash of a secret that Carol knows. So say that was given in like an invoice. Uh, so Carol is like Starbucks and Starbucks is like, here's a hash. Um, and so Alice is like, hey, Bob, here are some funds, which is how much she's going to pay, plus like a tiny little bit extra for mm -hmm. his trouble. Um, and uh, Alice tells Bob, you can have these funds if you reveal the pre-image to this hash. Uh, and then uh, Alice also says, go, go over to, to Starbucks, to Carol, uh, to uh, find out what the pre-image is. So then Bob goes to Carol and sets up the same HTLC. Uh, so using the same hash and the same kind of contract, Bob says um, here, uh, you can have these funds if you reveal the pre-image. Uh, otherwise, after a certain amount of time, that's less than the other time lock, I get my funds back. So one of two things happens. Either um, Carol responds by giving the hash pre-image mm -hmm. um, to Bob, uh, which allows Carol to claim her funds. But now that Bob knows the secret, Bob can claim his funds. And so everything was nice and atomic. Uh, so either all of the hash locks get uh, activated and those spends happen one at a time, uh, or um, Carol never responds, in which case after a certain amount of time, Bob can claim his funds back. And after a certain amount of time after that, Alice can claim her funds back. So HTLCs are what are used to make payments uh, along the network mm. atomic, meaning they either all succeed or they all fail. Okay. Um, without having a situation where like someone else is footed with the bill or something mm -hmm. like this. Um, yeah. So um, PTLCs accomplish uh, essentially the exact same functionality. Um, and, and you can also use HTLCs uh, and PTLCs uh, for a couple other things like uh, atomic swaps. Mm -hmm. So say you have like, I don't know, some, some funds over on liquid and some funds over on Bitcoin you can use an HTLC on both chains 
mm -hmm. uh, in order to atomically swap funds between them, between two people. Uh, I guess you could also do that cross-chain if you were interested. Uh, you can even use it for uh, certain things like uh, coin swaps. It's a bit more complicated than just using an HTLC or a PTLC. Yeah. But the idea is that just as a privacy mechanism, uh, I send you funds and you send me funds. And we just have to make sure that there's a way that like neither of us can cheat one another. And you use uh, these kinds of constructions for those uh, as well. And that that's kind of a, a privacy technology where now we do this in a way where our two transactions aren't linked. So now I have coins that are like unrelated to my previous ones and you have coins that are unrelated to your previous ones. So yeah, essentially these um, HTLC, PTLC constructions have a lot of use cases mm -hmm. um, and PTLCs have more use cases. So um, <laughs> one of the downsides of HTLCs, um, well, so the, the high level is that uh, kind of, if you don't know what a hash is, it's essentially this one way function um, where I have an input, mm -hmm. I give it to my hash function, it gives me an output, and I can't go backwards. So from the output, I gain no information about the input. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, I guess the only information you have is what is the hash of the input? Yeah. Um, with a point, uh, it is also a one-way function, but it's a bit more special a one-way function. Um, you can do various things. So it has certain, uh, I guess if I was being super technical, I'd probably say, and I might even be wrong about this, homomorphic properties. So essentially, if, if I have two, two secrets and I compute their points, mm -hmm. if I add the points together, which like can be done in public because anyone can see these points, they're the end of the one way. So like no one will learn about my private keys if I give them public keys. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if I have two secrets and I compute their points, if you add the points together, the result is the point of adding the two secrets together. Yeah. So you have uh, some nice properties where you can do some basic like arithmetic and, and a couple other things uh, using the results of these one-way functions. And, and this is exactly the same uh, construction mechanism that everyone is already using for public keys, just generally. Like when I say a secret and a point, uh, you can think of that as a private key and a public key. It's the same math. I try not to call them private keys and public keys unless I slip up, uh, which I do often, um, just because it can confuse people because they're like semantically, like they have different meanings. Yeah. Used in different ways, like private keys hold funds and public keys are where those funds are associated with. Mm -hmm. And you sign for a public key using a private key and all these kinds of things. So you can do all of these things with scalars and points. It's, it's, it's the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, under the hood. But um, scalars and points, really, we're, we, we want to think of them more in these kinds of use cases as, or generally speaking, we want to think of them more as uh, like secrets and things like hashes. Mm -hmm. uh, you can even like call them hashes. Some, sometimes people do. <laughs> um, it's just a different hash function, which is actually like computing the point. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that's the, uh, the, what the difference between point time lock contracts and hash time lock contracts are, is that rather than there, rather than using the hash of a secret uh, that you want to reveal, you use its point. Uh, and then uh, what this lets us do, kind of like the, the big uh, immediate payoff is that uh, in these uh, kind of routing scenarios on the Lightning Network, where you have a bunch of linked payments using the same hash, mm -hmm. uh, that's not actually very great to have on the Lightning Network because it's um, a big privacy leak 
you know, I, if, if I'm running multiple nodes on the network, trying to sniff out where payments are happening and trying to figure out routing, mm -hmm. uh, which is generally how you try and break the privacy of an onion routed network is you, you set up a bunch of nodes everywhere and you try to do like yeah. various things to, to sniff things out. Um, so normally with things like Tor, you know, you have to do a bunch of like timing attacks and, and these kinds of things, which you can still do uh, on, on the Lightning Network. It's, it's similar technology, but we make it too easy. Uh, we literally, like if a payment goes out here and it comes in here, they have the same hash. Like you can see yeah. that they're, um, and, and, you know, maybe you have a better shot at guessing who the originator is and who it's being sent to and things like this. Um, hmm. And on top of that, there's actually an attack called a wormhole attack wherein uh, routing nodes that are maliciously working together, if they realize like, hey, I have a payment in here with this hash, and then after some time along the route, another node that's communicating with that, maybe the same person, same operator, uh, has another, uh, that same payment, essentially the rest of it, go through them on the route uh, with the same hash, and they can just see like, oh, it's the same hash, same payment. Uh, then they can steal the uh, routing fees of every node in between them while keeping their liquidity locked up. Oh, wow. So like as the secret comes back and gets revealed, um, they can just reveal it directly from here to here. So uh, if I have like uh, Mallory and Mike being malicious on the network and, uh, you know, there are some distance apart with a bunch of people in between them on the route, then say uh, Mike gets the pre-image um, then Mike can directly just tell Mallory what the pre-image is. So he never claims a payment. Mallory like agrees to pay him later, or if they're the same person, they don't need to worry about it. Uh, and then Mallory can just immediately claim her funds. And the key thing here is that the nodes in between, mm -hmm. it's indistinguishable from like a normal failed payment. Um, right. Cause to them, it just like no nothing ever happened. Oh, yeah. Like they can't tell that this happened. So essentially they have their funds locked up. And um, they uh, don't get any routing fees. Uh, so that's uh, one problem on top of just like the fact that using hashes is bad because it's bad for privacy. And it's, it, we often call this uh, problem payment correlation. So essentially all payments uh, that are for the same, along the same route are correlated because they have a hash. So you can identify them with one another. Uh, and a wormhole attack is just like a problem that pops up when uh, you do this. Um, so yeah, we, we get to PTLCs now where if you do the same thing with points, mm -hmm. uh, since you have this property where you can add points together, um, what the payment originator does is rather than just using the point that they were given in the invoice, they add a bunch of random numbers to it. They add a bunch of nonces to it, one along each step. Okay. So if they, they they see the route and they're constructing like the, the whole, uh, payment the the originator does and so they look at like say along the route they have alice bob carol Dave. uh so what they want to do is they generate four random numbers same way as they would like private keys but you know they're scalars here um and then what we do is we add a random tweak to each point along the thing mm -hmm. and then we give each routing node in the onion we directly tell them and no one else um one uh, or their one secret to tweak by. So then how the protocol works is now when you route, instead of just directly using the same point with the next person, what you do is you add the tweak that you were given. You're given just one scalar and you add that going forward and subtract it going backwards. So essentially now every single hop along the route has a different point 
And then the last person is just given the sum of all of the random things you added. So they, uh, at, so they have a secret that they know that they're trying to reveal. Uh, they add the sum of all the random tweaks. And then along the route, as you go backwards, after they've revealed the secret, you subtract one of those random secrets off at each hop, just like you added it on the way forward. And so when you get back to the originator, they get the original secret. Um, and yeah, you should ask me questions because I'm sure my explanation has holes. Yeah, no, I mean, don't get me wrong, but like uh, I, you know, I, I don't understand it even remotely close to to your level <laughs> to even begin to ask, uh, you know, a question that could, uh, you know, like stump you or anything. But if I understand this correctly, though, um, does that mean that it sounds to me as though this is more secure than an HTLC because um, the person at the end only gets the um, that those unique values, so they don't. It sounds to me like they can't figure out the route backwards, though. That's what it sounds uh, like to me. If I yeah, so I mean, you still have the normal properties of Lightning, where uh, each node along the route knows. Uh, who is paying the previous them and one. who they are paying. So they, they kind of know like two two steps. Yes, okay, uh, but yeah. They, but they don't know anything else. So yeah, the one of the goals of PTLCs is to make it much harder to figure out um, things like payment originators and payment recipients. Because now, since we're doing this tweaking, even if you didn't understand the whole process by which it happens, the idea now is that rather than using the same hash out anywhere, since points have this nice property where mm -hmm. I can add uh, two points together, and then if I add the two secrets, I'll get the secret to the new point. Uh, since you have that nice property, um, you can now use a different point for every hop along the same payment route. Mm. So rather than using like H, 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 like the same hash everywhere, you use like P1, P2, P3, P4, P5, which are just all completely uncorrelated payment points. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're uncorrelated because we added a random point to each one <laughs> to get the next one. And then you just kind of add going forward, subtract going backward. And what this gives you is not only that um, it's harder to... So it's still possible uh, to some extent to try and do things like timing to figure out uh, you know, whether payments are correlated. You can also look at the amounts because on the Lightning Network, you can actually, since you're routing, right, you can see how much, how many funds you're routing. And then later on, if it's a similar amount, you might be like, oh, this is related. But uh, this story gets much better when you use things like multi-path payments. Mm -hmm. These are amps uh, as well. Um, then you kind of split up your payment into multiple things. And you know you can have a bunch of people on the network using similar values because they're all splitting up their payments into smaller values, things like this. So, um, and, and some of this is still like, I mean, Lightning's new enough that I'm sure there will be developments and like best practices for avoiding people being able to correlate funds based mm -hmm. on like exact numbers. Like you should make sure you don't use like round numbers and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, uh, or w which you know, of course, end users don't have to worry about like their fees along the route. This is already <laughs> a true fact. Uh, but other things uh, of this nature, I think, will happen in the future to make it harder. But uh, yeah, one thing that needs to happen is we can't use hashes because we need to be changing um, kind of the uh, each payment along the route. We, we can't just have um, like uh, a field on each payment that like immediately makes it obvious that like, oh, all of yes. these are, and this gets much worse with like MPPs these days 
Uh, so today's MPPs all use the same hash for all of the payment routes. So like you can see all these different payments that are correlated to one another. Oh, wow. Um, when you split up your payment. So, um, and, and I guess I do want to say like, this isn't the biggest problem in the world. Like, no. you know, if, if lightning had yeah. to use PLCs, we'd still be fine. Um, but it is just nicer to use PTLCs. Yeah. And so this is kind of like the entry point, at least for me, for how I learned about um, PTLCs. Uh, but then after that, it turns out that there's a bunch of stuff you can do with PTLCs, like just application-wise, that you can't mm -hmm. do with HTLCs. Uh, mainly based on these properties of um, hashes, just like destroy all the information except for like what is the hash, whereas points destroy enough information so they they they're still one way, mm -hmm. but you keep some information. You can do interesting things, as we know already in Bitcoin, because like you know we can do digital signatures. And, can do all these other things just using uh, or you can verify i should say a digital signature using just a point um because it has enough relevant information about its secret without actually revealing much so so stuff like ptlc's is you know this is a lot of back end kind of the guts you know mm. this is the, this is the the way i see it so yeah. let, me, let me ask you this um you know what does this what does this mean to a person you know, in the real world, like obviously they're never going to have a, a UI where they employ, you know, this type of technology. This technology is going to be at the back end of yeah. some type of service or something that they use in, in, you know, in real life. Yeah. So um, like, where, guess... where could people see this application or end up experiencing the results of using this? Yeah, so a couple places. Um, first of all, you know, better privacy. I guess most people don't experience that viscerally, but it's <laughs> still there. an experience. Still, still there. Um, you know, maybe you feel a little more secure in using it or something like that. But uh, no. Uh, other than that, we also have. Um, so I've, I've mentioned MPPs a couple times, so multi-path payments. Mm -hmm. And Lightning, essentially, uh, you know, we have this. Uh, annoying thing from a ux perspective of your funds are kind of partitioned amongst many channels and in order to make a payment you have to be able to like get the right amount of liquidity in the right places and get it across the network so one thing that um really helps with all of these problems is the ability to essentially to complete a single payment, you actually make like multiple smaller payments from yes. maybe even different channels so that you can pool funds together. And also so that routing nodes along uh, your way to the final destination don't need as much liquidity all in one place, right? Like if you're, if you have no MPPs, then if I want to send a bit like one Bitcoin, like some big amount, like a Bitcoin over the network, then I need to find a route where every channel yes. has at least a Bitcoin going in the right direction. And, and do it that way. But with MPPs, I can split it up into like, you know, if I wanted to like a hundred different pieces and like send it in smaller payments uh, using different routes and things like this. Question, um, question yeah. for you about this. This sounds is okay. So I don't mean to introduce confusion into this, but is that what you're describing? Does is that have anything to do or is similar to Wumbo channels? Um, so Wombo channels are uh, essentially channels where we have lifted the artificial limit we put on channels uh, of like, you can only have this much in the channel. Okay. Um, and essentially, I would say, uh, I mean, they're related via the Lightning Network, but they're not necessarily directly uh, be between MPPs and Wombo channels. I okay. 
um, well, I guess you know, if if we, if everyone suddenly had Wombo channels and was using that feature, like maybe MPPs would be less important because you wouldn't have these liquidity problems as often. But um, you would still have them, and uh, most people aren't putting oh. all that much money on the Lightning Network. I, I get. I guess what I was asking was, I, I apologize, I oh, wasn't okay. uh, clear enough. I, I guess I, what I was asking was, um, is Wombo channels uh, leveraging multi-path payments? Because I, I, I was just trying to understand the uh, the uh, tech. It can. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I guess it. You know. It, like, it could can they choose... work? Yeah, yeah, they work together. I mean, okay. a Wombo channel is not actually. Uh, different from a normal channel in any way other than that it doesn't uh, your software no longer is checking that you don't have over a certain amount okay <laughs> yeah so, okay uh, other than that it functions in exactly the same way if i understand uh wombo channels correctly okay um, yeah i wasn't aware of that I, yeah no worries that's cool uh yeah but so anyway i was saying mm, uh for sorry. mpps uh they they kind of let you split up your payments mm -hmm. uh, use liquidity in better ways use routing uh, in more uh, practical, uh, finer grain ways. Uh, but they, MPPs today have a couple downsides. Um, one is that like, you know, since you're using the same hash across all of your different sub payments, uh, you know, it's easier to do kind of analysis to figure out who's sending the payment, where it originated from, or at least what area of the network, things like mm -hmm. this. Um, so there's the, the privacy aspect to it. There's also some weirdness, just like technically speaking, where like the receiver could accept some of the sub payments, even if the other ones have failed, and then you haven't fully paid them, but they've like accepted it and given you the hash pre-image. And there's kind of like this, this larger issue that uh, is related to this, um, where uh, the hash pre-image is kind of treated like a receipt over the Lightning Network. Right, you it's it's an if and only if like if the payment goes through, you receive the pre-image, and if it doesn't go through, you don't. So it has that nice atomic property, like with the route, uh, if you like you, the original, the first hop uh, is only claimed if the secret is revealed, because there's like an HTLC in the middle there, right? So uh, it's kind of atomic. You either get the secret and pay, or you don't get the secret and you don't pay. Uh, so a, a lot of um, applications can use this uh, as a proof of payment or like a receipt. Mm. Uh, but when you use HTLCs, your proof of payment isn't really a proof of payment. Like every hop along the route learns this secret. Uh, and, you know, if you were using it naively and being like, um, here is my, my proof of payment. Like if you know this secret, you must have paid for this product. Then like every route or every node along the route uh, can pretend that they were the one who purchased it, even though they didn't pay for it. Only the first node actually didn't receive as many funds as they spent. Um, but everyone learns the secret. So, but with the tweaking stuff using PTLCs, yeah. you, you get like an actual proof of payment where um, the originating node is the only one that learns the secret. Um, and furthermore, with MPPs, you can have different tweaks along all of the different sub payments so that. Um, they uh, essentially, you know, things are further decorrelated and you still have proof of payment. And uh, the last thing is that um, you have a scheme with PTLCs where it is not actually possible for the receiving node to claim any funds unless all of the payments have been set up with them. So if some of the sub payments fail, they can't just be like, eh. I'll take what you gave me and not give you my product because you didn't fully pay me or like some weird thing like this. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So essentially, you can you can more reliably treat the secret as like the thing that is economically valuable, like the the secret you need in order to execute some code on like a server or like a ticket to get into a basketball game or like mm -hmm. whatever you want to use this proof of payment for. Um, it you can now actually use it like a proof of payment as opposed to with when we were using HTLCs, you had to like use this and some other stuff. Like you would have to like, and you would have to ask for a pub key from the person over some other channel or over, you know, some custom stuff in the Onion and the Lightning Network uh, in order to get some extra information that's unique to just the person who sent you the payment. Uh, okay. Because the hash pre-image wasn't enough because a bunch of people were in the hash pre-image. Okay, so what I've got for the this is what I've this is what I've got for the yeah. point so time should, uh, to, <laughs> to to zoom out essentially yeah. uh, PTLCs from a UX perspective. Yes, they give you um, more usable receipts for payments mm -hmm. over the Lightning Network, which can be used uh, since this is like you know digital money. Uh, these receipts can actually be like used to compose lightning technology with like application technology mm -hmm. so say if i am selling data or something like this over the lightning network i can like send you the data encrypted in a way where you can be assured that um uh if your payment goes through then you have the data like you don't have to wait for me to send it to you like i've already mm -hmm. sent it to you you just can't read it because it's encrypted and then um when you get like your receipt is what you need to decrypt your data that you bought. And so you can do all these kinds of tricks where you essentially integrate uh, lightning payments going through with some other digital things. Um, and uh, that allows you to do all sorts of applications. And what and, I and it improves amps is the other thing. I originally started talking about how it improves multipath yeah. payments. Uh, but then I kind of was like, oh, wait, the bigger, more interesting thing from a UX perspective is that you get uh, these nice proof of payments. And then I guess mm -hmm. the third thing, so th those are the first two things. The third thing is that it enables you to do uh, a bunch of these applications that you couldn't do using HTLCs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into like DLCs and yeah. some other kinds of applications that you can run over the Lightning Network um, where uh, it would be very, very difficult to, to do this using HTLCs and would require a bunch of custom work. Whereas here, it's kind of like, it gives you a more sound fundamental like abstraction of what the Lightning Network is that you can then use and build on top of without actually having to modify your Lightning node, uh, like the, the core code. You would just have to modify like what it does with it or what point it chooses and things mm -hmm. like this, um, which uh, is, is much, much easier to, to work with. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive right into that the uh, the the DLCs or discrete log contracts. Yeah. Um, now, okay, I've um, you know in terms of the in terms of the I, I hate to bring this up, but you know in mm -hmm. the shitcoining world they talk about oracles, right? And to DeFi. me, yeah, <laughs> you know DeFi and then you know like all these like uh, you know these shitcoins that are supposedly public. Oracles, anyways, okay, or public oracle providers, anyways, mm. not not to suck people down that rabbit hole of nonsense, but to me, it seems as though, um, not that the technology is nonsense, but the, the shitcoins are nonsense, um, but the, 
the technology to me sounds the same on on Lightning. Like this is the type of functionality that we would be providing with DLCs, an Oracle type of functionality, or that uh, it enables that capability. Yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna go with the yes and no here. So, cool. <laughs> uh, it is certainly related to Oracles, but we have a pretty different model from how mm. Oracles are used uh, in in most of those kinds of applications. So um, DLCs uh, yeah. originally <laughs> were, um, so discrete law contracts again, uh, they uh, were proposed in a white paper by Taj Dreja, who is also yeah. one of the co-authors of the Lightning White Paper um, over at MIT. And um, it's not, uh, well, it, it's a Bitcoin, um, well, it's not even Bitcoin, it's just like, uh, it, it's something that uh, you can execute, say, on like the Bitcoin blockchain. You don't need to do this on Lightning. It's not a mm -hmm. Lightning-specific application. Uh, but the cool thing about it is that it's actually very general. Like, it's not Bitcoin-specific. You could run a DLC, you know, on Ethereum if you wanted to. You could uh, execute it over the Lightning network given the right amount of effort. So it's uh, blockchain agnostic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, or it's chain agnostic. agnostic. Not even just blockchain, because like you know, Lightning isn't a blockchain. No, but, exactly. <laughs> um, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's kind of like protocol agnostic. Protocol agnostic. Um, it's you know, I, and I could run it on Liquid. I could you know do all, all these kinds of things, and uh, so that that's the the first point to make. But now I should probably see what they actually are. I realize I've not done that. <laughs> um, so a, a discrete log contract is um, so. First of all, the name is a pun. Uh, it's spelled discrete as in like secretive, like two E's and then a T, not E-T-E. Yeah. Uh, but it's about a discrete log, like E-T-E, discrete log. Um, so it's a contract based on a discrete log. Um, if you don't know what a discrete log is, it's literally just the scalar to a point. Like the, the thing we've been talking about with PTLC is yes. the same kind of construction where you're using points to make secret, to get a public version of your secret, like a public mm -hmm. key. Um, uh, or a point associated with a secret, and then um, the secret is needed to execute the contract. So it's called a discrete log contract. Um, so that's where, where DLC comes from. Uh, so uh, just to keep things simple for now, I'll talk about them as if we're going to execute one like on-chain in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and we can talk about moving it elsewhere to things like Lightning. But um, so say, uh, well, first of all, what are you going to use this for? Mm -hmm. So DLCs uh, enable uh, Oracle contracts, like you mentioned on Bitcoin. So an Oracle contract is simply a contract which uh, what happens is determined fully by um, what an Oracle says. So you know, an Oracle could say that it's rainy in Texas today, or that you know, they, they could say that like Bitcoin is worth 500K, you know, they, they could say all sorts of things. Um, and the key, the, the key idea here with an Oracle is that um, the Bitcoin blockchain is, uh, well, really any blockchain or any protocol of this kind, mm -hmm. it does is not natively aware of like the real world, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, when I'm doing things on Bitcoin, the things I have available to me in the scripting language are like, how many? Uh, well, uh, very little. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, I can check digital signatures. I can do multi-sig, I can do these kinds of things, but I can't be like, what's the weather in Florida? Like, I, I, I can't do those <laughs> kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, there are plenty of financial use cases where it's good to know something about something in the real world. Yes. Like the Bitcoin price or, you know, what, uh, 
what what some other thing is i don't know so anything um, yeah like <laughs> who's the president right now exactly <laughs> uh things like this um so essentially you need some way of uh taking facts or truths in the real world and bringing them on chain so that people can actually do uh transactions based on those events um so you know uh that's a long-winded way of saying this enables betting of all, of all kinds. <laughs> it enables financial contracts, um, such as like derivatives and uh, things like this. You know, you could you could hedge using Bitcoin collateral without an intermediary. You know, things like this. Um, what and you can hedge anything. I left that blank intentionally. <laughs> anything you yeah. have an oracle for. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, there's all sorts of stuff you can do using Oracle contracts. Uh, point in fact, lots of blockchains have Oracle contracts that they use. Uh, generally, the, the most common model you'll see, at least for like, you know, a startup kind of project, is like there's literally just a guy who's, or, you know, uh, not, not a guy, an entity that is the Oracle, you know, mm -hmm. has some public key, and then they like sign some message, and whatever they sign is truth. Like, they are. The, yes. the dictator of their domain, they can they can do what they want. You you do see more sophisticated things like I think. So I, I know very little about uh, like m the Maker project or anything like that, but I believe they have like seventeen oracles, uh, all who are just anonymous entities who together, if some like majority of them say the price is something, then that's what the price is. So that's certainly better than uh, having just one that gets to determine what it is, uh, but it still has some downsides. Um, so in the discrete log contract kind of Oracle model, what mm -hmm. we have is we have oblivious oracles. So uh, a key feature is that oracles don't, aren't able to see how they're being used. Mm -hmm. um, so I mentioned earlier, this is like protocol agnostic. You can use these DLC oracles in any of these different places, Bitcoin, Lightning, Liquid, ETH, wherever you want to use it. Mm -hmm. um, and the Oracle will not be able to see that they're being used. So it, it has this nice property where the Oracle is just publicly broadcasting their signature of something and that's executing a bunch of contracts, but they can actually see that. Um, and so, so that's one important fact is that they're oblivious. So uh, kind of one sub point of this is that they have no interaction with their users other than broadcasting a signature. Yeah. So they are not involved. They're not like in a two of three multi-sig with their users, uh, you know, enforcing things like an escrow would. Uh, they aren't, um, you know, part of like, they can't just like look at the transactions happening on chain. Like you might be able to in like an ETH thing where people are like literally writing or they have like executions to go ask the oracle something and everyone can see that because it's executing on the public blockchain uh things like this so you, you have none of that um and and i'll get to how how this happens in a sec mm -hmm. that you can use them without um actually them knowing or anyone knowing uh so they, they this is good uh for a couple of reasons it's good for privacy and to be honest when you are looking at discrete log or like Oracle contracts, like privacy is part of your security model, mm -hmm. right? Like it should be anyway, because, um, you know, the things you're worried about in, in these kinds of contracts is the Oracle lying or like the Oracle cheating or these kinds of things. So, you know, if, if I'm in a scheme where there's one Oracle and if I want to do these kinds of contracts, I must use that one Oracle um, and they can see, so they can see how they're being used and they can see how they could like, 
enter into a bunch of contracts pretending to be other people and like lie and then make a ton of money off of it and then disappear like exit scam and things like this so so there are all sorts of concerns around or they're, they're rightfully so it, it's it's a hard problem to bring real world information onto the chain because it requires trust it's kind of the the tldr is it's uh you need uh, trust in order to do Oracle contracts and DLCs are one specific way of trying to trust as little as possible. So um, I just want to throw in a real world example that as you explain yeah. this, it kind of makes me think of a person, okay, that is screaming out answers to questions that they don't know what the question is and they don't know who they're screaming the answer out to. It doesn't matter. It's they're They're just simply screaming out the answer, but they don't know... You know what I mean? They don't know the, the, what the questions are and they don't know who they're saying it to. Yeah, so I, that... I think uh, it, it, that is right so long as you make sure to make clear that the questions being asked is not like, what's the weather? Yeah. It's like, the question is like, if the, or, or yeah, or I guess the, the key point is that they don't actually hear the questions that their users are asking. They just hear some higher level questions. So the question that the Oracle hears is what's the weather? And then they just say what the weather is. Yes. And everyone who's listening has their own contracts that say like, if the weather is this, this, if the weather is this, do this, these kinds of things. I get and then it. When they hear the Oracle say something, then that executes their contract. Yes. But um, not in a way that's traceable back to your Oracle. It just looks like normal transactions. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's the idea of, of the model. So mm -hmm. I, I can get into a bit more of like how this actually happens. Um, oh, but I should say one more thing about the model is, um, so uh, you can use, uh, there, there's some nice composability features um, mm -hmm. that you might expect if you hear like, you know, these oracles are like protocol agnostic. You should be able to use multiple of them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, essentially you can, when you are setting up one of these DLCs in the future, I think what it'll look like is you find, you know, all the oracles uh, that you trust or that, you know, uh, you believe trust to be trustworthy um that are going to speak on a certain event say like if it's going to be what the bitcoin price is you know i can look at like the kraken oracle and the coinbase oracle and the shared bits oracle who's probably just like you know parroting one of the other data streams unless we become an exchange which i doubt um <laughs> or um you know whatever other uh sources of truth you have for what the bitcoin price is um, and then uh, you would like require, say, in this situation that like two of three of them, right? So kind of like we do with multi-sig to improve security. You, you pick, you say that like two of these three oracles need to be within this price range of one another. So like within like $1,000 or $100 or whatever you choose. Um, and if that's the case, then execute, uh, you know, using this price. Or mm -hmm. um, execute a contract. So um, this has uh, a couple things to it. So first of all, it's nice that you can use not just one Oracle, but like you know, a threshold of many uh, that always improves the security model because it uh, drastically increases the cost of bribery because now you have to bribe more than one Oracle uh, if you wanted to try and cheat in that way. Um, it also uh, decreases like the trust between the briber and the bribee like it, it you know because um anytime an oracle lies 
that's just like a digital signature of a false claim associated with the Oracle's pub key. Like it's an automatic fraud proof. Um, and no one will ever use that or, or no one should ever use that Oracle again. It's very easy to create these fraud proofs if an Oracle ever lies. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know that they're going to be getting a payout unless maybe they're paid up front. Uh, if like people are using multiple Oracles, like if they lie, but like one of the other Oracles bribed doesn't lie, like now they're just screwed mm -hmm. kind of situation. So uh, for, for many reasons, many of which are, are not too complicated. Uh, using more than one Oracle is always great. You want to use like two, three, three or five, something like yeah. this. Um, and then on top of that, there's this kind of uh, more subtle fact that uh, if you want to do a certain kind of contract, you're not inherently bound to a certain three oracles or something like this. So, hmm. you know, if you think about like a side chain kind of model where you have like a federation, that's not exactly what's happening here because the each user, every single person setting up a DLC gets to pick their own federation. Mm-hmm and their own trusted parties. And the Federation doesn't know about them, is the other fact. So uh, if you look at a lot of these multi-Oracle schemes on other blockchains, like I mentioned, Maker has like 17 Oracles. Mm -hmm. but it's those 17 and you always use exactly those, you have no choice and they can see you, <laughs> right? Whereas here, like, you know, if I have a bunch of options for which Oracles to use, I can just like pick the ones that I trust um, and kind of distribute my trust amongst them. So essentially, as a, so, Another solution to the Oracle problem is to try and do a bunch of weird like games. So if you've heard of like Augur. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's a betting market <laughs> yeah. place on ETH. Um, yeah. <laughs> and they, they uh, have, have a whole setup of like determining what the truth is using stake. Yes. The, the idea is that you have like shelling points where like the majority of people are just going to be assuming that everyone else is going to tell the truth, uh, yeah. which makes it economically non-viable to lie. Of course, the downside is if like one person, so not necessarily for Augur, because it's more complicated to attack something like Augur, but if you did the simple version of this, mm -hmm. you know, one person could come in with all the money, <laughs> like 51% of the money, and just like determine what the truth is. Um, and, and I believe, and I, I don't want to speak because I, I don't actually know anything about Augur, but I, I assume with many of these schemes that um, it's more complicated than just that because maybe there are like limits on how much each entity can come in with. But at mm. the end of the day, it's all digital and pseudonymous. So like you could just- How do you know? Many people <laughs> and yes. come in and like 51% attack the truth or something like that. <laughs> um, or, or, you know, it's more complicated than that. But at a high level, that's my main like when thinking about these decentralized oracles. So I think personally, that uh, so the Oracle problem is that trust is required in order to execute anything based on real world events digitally. And uh, one solution that like a decentralized Oracle would take is like spread your truth or spread your trust very thin and, you know, with some meta structure to make you feel better as well. Mm. Um, and this is certainly better than nothing. <laughs> like it's better than using one Oracle that is an escrow <laughs> and not even yeah. an Oracle. Like it's just in a two or three multisig. Like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. It's certainly better than that. Um, but I personally think that the better solution is to spread your trust somewhat amongst trustworthy sources rather than like random sources <laughs> that you have no control over and who you don't know and then just spread it super thin. Like, I think the, the sweet spot is where you spread it a little less, but put it in better places, essentially. 
Um, so you still don't want to centralize your trust into just one point of failure. You want to spread it out, uh, and you want to spread it out more if it's more like more important. So like you know, if if I have like a a one thousand sat DLC, like whatever, use one oracle. Like if you lose a thousand sats, that's that's not too much at least today. Um, but uh, if you have like a ten Bitcoin DLC, like maybe use like seven oracles. I don't know. Like use more oracles <laughs> because it's more important. But the, the point here is that first of all, users get to choose this based mm -hmm. off of like what they're actually doing, or at least their software might be choosing it for them. But like it's not set into like the smart contracts, which we don't have obviously, um, or or anything like this. Um, it's really uh, kind of all the work happens on the client side. All these oracles mm. are doing are just broadcasting signatures. So the clients get to make all the decisions with yeah. the decisions they can make. And that includes where to put their trust, how thinly to spread it amongst multiple parties, uh, things like this. Um, so that's uh, all speaking. I have I've not yet said how you do this. Uh, so if you're still like, wait, I still don't know what a DLC is, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's just kind of the model. This is like the motivation for what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and, you know, use cases are plentiful uh, in terms of, you know, people are using all of these, in my opinion, lesser Oracle schemes to do all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, so now how, how do you actually do this? Uh, well, first of all, we use Schnorr, but we use it off chain. Um, so Oracles, when they're broadcasting these signatures, those signatures that they're broadcasting, and they're not broadcasting them on chain. I mean, they could in like an op return if they wanted, but um, they generally speaking, it doesn't require like a blockchain. They're just broadcasting signatures. And if anyone can see them, they can use them. Mm -hmm. And those signatures are Schnorr signatures. Um, now, what we actually need is like not, we, you don't need Schnorr. You can use other stuff. You can't use ECDSA very simply, I don't think. But uh, Schnorr fits the bill for what we're doing. Um, but essentially, you need this nice property where um, if I give you my public key that I'm going to be signing with yeah. uh, and some extra information, uh, that's essentially my commitment to uh, announcing on or, or to in the future broadcast a signature is what it is. So if mm -hmm. I give you my pub key and I'm, I tell you in cryptographic data, um, I will be uh, telling you what the Bitcoin price is in two weeks at this time from this exchange or something like this, like something specific. Yeah. Uh, then, so if you have that information, then you can compute points uh, whose pre images, whose scalars. Uh, are the signatures. Mm -hmm. So you can't compute the Oracle signatures, but you can compute like anticipations of their signatures. Interesting. Um, so you can do this using Schnorr. You can do it using some other stuff, but we just use Schnorr because it's kind of out of the box, at least right now. We, we're looking at some, some other stuff, but for now, just to keep things simple, just think about Schnorr has this nice property where, and, and so if you don't understand some of the words I'm about to say, that's fine. You can just like <laughs> eyes glaze for a second. But for those who might know, uh, what you do is you tell them your public key and your R value, also known as like your nonce. So mm -hmm. essentially, and you don't tell them the secret that goes into your nonce. You tell them the like point associated with your nonce. Uh, so anyway, you, you give them the commitment to all the stuff, all, all the stuff you're going to use to generate the signature. Mm -hmm. And then if they know what the messages are, they can compute anticipation points for all the possible outcomes. So say if it's something simple, I should use something simpler than price because uh, there's other stuff that goes into that. Um, but say something simple like, um, well, I, 
I used to use the example of like who wins the U.S. election, but apparently that that's less simple when it comes to, uh, you know, the Oracle scheme, <laughs> putting trust into things. But so, so something more less dispute. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like, uh, yeah, like what's the weather in um, Iowa? And uh, you have, say, like some enumerated set of outcomes that you could sign. So like sunny, cloudy raining, snowing, blizzard, uh, some other things. I don't know, just some set of things that you yeah. Um And uh, so the Oracle is like, here are the messages I could sign. Here's the cryptographic commitments to my signing those things, like my public key uh, that I'll be signing with. And then uh, anyone who sees that announcement can use that information to construct a DLC on their own that is untraceable but which uh, uses these anticipation points. Uh, I can get into more how in a second, but essentially it uses these anticipation points, possibly in conjunction with anticipation points from other oracles, mm -hmm. combining them together all on their own, right? No nothing is done publicly. Um, in order to uh, construct a bunch of off-chain transactions, one of which will become valid. So essentially, and now I'll get into kind of what it looks like from the client's perspective. So. What you do if, say, you and me were going to enter into a DLC about what the weather was like in Iowa. I don't know why we would do that. But I'm <laughs> hedging against, like, winter weather here. Because um, I, I got to drive out next week. So, um, I, you know, we're talking about, like, next week's weather. We have some oracles for this. And say, uh, if it's a blizzard or, you know, precipitation of any kind, then I get all the money in the contract. Say we each put in, like, a Bitcoin. I don't know. I'm just using easy numbers here. And if it's, like... Uh, snow, sleet, blizzard, whatever. Like I get a bit, I get two Bitcoin out of this contract. And if it's like sunny or you know partially cloudy or whatever, then you get um, the two Bitcoin in the contract. This is like super simple. You can do much more complicated things here, but mm -hmm. here's what happens. So first, we agree on the terms, just kind of like soft agreement, no commitment in terms of like we're not yet held to account here. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't signed anything yet, is I guess the point. Like we both read the contracts and we're like, yeah, we're gonna sign this. Um, and then what we do is um, we, we have to find one Bitcoin. So we have like some UTXOs or whatever. You know. Go to our wallet, find a Bitcoin. And then um, we construct a funding transaction. So we, we don't sign it yet, but so there's, there's two transactions involved in a DLC that happens on chain. Mm -hmm. There's a funding transaction and a closing transaction. So there's, you know, go into the contract and then come out of the contract. Um, so going into the contract, uh, you essentially fund your side of things. So in this case, we each put in a Bitcoin. We don't have to put in the same amount, generally speaking. You can do all sorts of things. Uh, but you, you go into the contract. We each essentially fund a Bitcoin. And then there's one output, which is a two of two multi-sig. I guess there's also change outputs, but ignoring this, uh, there's one important output called the funding output. It's very like Lightning. Lightning does essentially the same thing, where they have a two of two multi-sig. So both of us are now in shared custody of our funds. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't sign this yet because then we would just like be heckling over like, you know, playing chicken, like who's going to swerve first? Like who, who gets more of these funds? So we haven't yet actually done anything DLC related really. Um, and then the closing transaction, what it does is it spends the funding output, our two Bitcoin there, and it sends out money depending on what the Oracle said. So what we do is now that we've constructed this funding transaction, we construct a bunch of execution transactions, a bunch of closing transactions, unsigned. Okay. 
one for each event. So right, I, I construct a, we construct a contract execution transaction, which I will now call CET because it's much smaller. So uh, smaller to say. Uh, so uh, we construct a CET for um, it being cloudy, a CET for it being sunny, a CET for it blizzarding, a CET for it hailing, et cetera, all mm -hmm. the possible outcomes. And then um, the outputs on those are you know, payouts to you and me, depending on what the weather is, uh, kind of like you'd expect. Okay. Now, so far, I've, I've not talked about how any enforcement happens or anything, but this is our goal, right? Our goal is to have a transaction on chain where we put funds into mm -hmm. that neither of us can now spend. Like, they're locked up because it's double custody. Yeah. So you can't spend it without my permission. I can't spend it without your permission. And then we give each other conditional permission uh, to spend it in certain ways, depending on what the Oracle says, is the goal. Where we have one off-chain transaction for every possible outcome. And then the only thing that goes on chain is one of these things. So essentially our contract stays entirely private, entirely off chain, just between us two. And then what people see on chain is just a transaction putting things into a two of two multisig and a transaction sending things to two parties. It is somewhat indistinguishable if you're careful. I mean, it's not quite, but um, with Taproot, it, it, it'll be much nicer, but um, it uh, is, is very close to like, if you were looking on chain at lightning channels opening and closing, mm -hmm. like it's, it's very similar. And any, any protocol that does this kind of thing looks very similar. It's just like funds go in, funds go out. You don't see anything in between. Um, but the nice thing about DLC is, is even if parties aren't cooperating, it still looks like this. Whereas in lightning, there's some extra stuff that has to go on chain in order to safely do things. Okay. But um, so yeah, th this is the goal. I haven't said how we do it yet, <laughs> but uh, at a high level, if you just want to think like, what is a DLC? A DLC is where we both put funds into one place, and then we have a transaction for every possible outcome, one of which will become valid. Um, and this is kind of why this is blockchain agnostic. Like, you don't need very much. You just need, like, you know, you can do this on ETH. You can have a transaction that you put funds into, and then a bunch of off-chain things, and then, like, send off to one of them. Mm -hmm. um, or send off using one of them, I should say. Okay. So, um, yeah. So how this actually works is, oh, and I should say, once all this stuff is constructed, you only sign the funding transaction once you've been given all the signatures of the off-chain yeah. transactions. That's kind of the key point here. Like, you, you only commit to, like, going into the contract once you're sure that you can get out of it by yourself without help from your counterparty. Okay. Um, so th that way it's just, like, fully, you know, unilateral from that point forward. Um, once we've agreed to the contract, neither of us can just be like, Never mind, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, or, or anything like that. You have At to least commit, not without permission, because you know it's two of two. We can do anything we want so long as we both agree. Um, we can change the terms if we both agree, but uh, nothing can happen non-cooperatively that we haven't already agreed to. Mm -hmm. um, all righty, so we're, we're we're almost to the payoff here. So essentially, what what happens <laughs> now is um, how this how this conditional how do you give conditional consent? to spending things or to, or to using this transaction. So we need to sign it in order for it to be valid on chain, but we can't just like flat out sign it because then you can just use it, right? So I, I have to sign it with a twist. Mm. Uh, so we, we give encrypted signatures is what we do, where uh, it's encrypted using those Oracle uh, anticipation points. Mm -hmm. So I, I use this point, this public piece of information about a potential signature in order to tweak my signature of this transaction. So um, they're called verifiably encrypted signatures. They're also called adapter signatures. If you've heard of adapter signatures, 
uh, another fancy name for them is verifiably encrypted signatures. And it's essentially where I give you a valid signature. And the reason it says verifiably at the front there is because you can validate that once this is unencrypted in the expected way, it will be a valid signature. So you can validate that like off the bat. Mm -hmm. You don't need extra stuff, like everything's given to you there. Um, and so I give you an encrypted signature for every possible outcome of each transaction where it's been encrypted using a different Oracle point for each one. Okay. And then, so you know, we've done all of this setup, we've signed all of our transactions, verifiably encrypted for the closing ones, and then just normal signatures for the funding ones after that. And so on chain, we you know, enter into the contract, and then we wait, and then eventually the oracles speak, and then using what they say, these signatures, which are the pre-images to some of the points that we originally used uh, in order to verifiably encrypt things, we decrypt the relevant pieces of information specifically the signatures. Mm -hmm. And now I have valid signatures for this transaction, which I can just broadcast on chain without your help, right? Like I can do this all on my own. Either one of us can do it. Because um, now we have fully signed transactions, but all of the other ones stay encrypted. Mm -hmm. um, and that at a very high level, skipping some details, and now I say it's not at a very high level, at a very low level, that's how that works. <laughs> um, I, I should say, sorry. Sorry if I've gone off the rails here, but- um, No, not at all. Yeah, I, I guess I should say, if you're listening to this and you didn't understand all of that, that's fine. You don't need to know all of it. It was more so just like, if you're curious, here are some lower level details. But at a high level, all it is is like you find some oracles that you decide to disperse your trust in, and then you write down the terms of a contract, and then the software does all this stuff for you. <laughs> you, you don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah. it. And, and software will probably write the contract for you too. Like There's very little you actually have to do as a user, but here's kind of the underlying technology is we use verifiably encrypted signatures, which are also known as adapter signatures, in order to uh, give conditional permission to use certain transactions, depending on what an Oracle says. Um, and uh, so this, since this encryption and decryption all happens like off chain, like the Oracle can't see that they're being used. The on chain mm -hmm. thing is just like a valid signature, right? Like that, you don't see anything interesting on chain. Um, and furthermore, uh, there's this nice deniability property that adapter signatures have, where mm -hmm. if you see a real signature and you see some secret, like a you know, the Oracle thing that they broadcasted that was used to decrypt this mm -hmm. original thing, I can construct um, a uh, an encrypted version, right? Like I can encrypt things; it's not hard. So essentially, you know, if, if someone's like, "Here's the adapter signature that made that signature," I can be like. You can't prove that because, like, I can take any random secret and make an adapter signature that looks like it made this signature. So it has this weird property. That said, you still can probably get around this by being like, here are all these other signatures I didn't use of off-chain transactions and convince people that you were in a DLC. But it does require that, like, one of the two parties involved doxes in the other <coughs> one. Um, and, and even then, you know, there's not any real consequence is as far as the funds are concerned like it doesn't change anything but but the point here is that like in all cases practically speaking um these things are like super private oracles can't see that they're being used if you look on chain at a dlc that got executed you have no clue what the contract was especially i mean even if you do some timing stuff and you're like a price oracle said this and then soon after this transaction showed up on chain well first of all in the future they're going to be like price oracles saying what the price is all the time and you have no clue which one it is yeah, what price it's... what ticker what <laughs> and like, why so in, in the long term that i i'm not actually concerned about this 
but um say in the short term there's like one in a world where there's one oracle who's a price oracle or only one oracle in this 10 minute interval you know broadcasted any signatures and then this transaction showed up on chain uh, even if you were able to like figure out for one reason or another like what oracles were used or have a good guess uh, you still have no clue what the contract was other than what the outcome is right like, yeah you know one point on their payout curve but you have no clue what the what the rest of their payout curve is you don't know what kind there's of no context you don't know if it was a long or a short or a, a strangle or you know you, you don't know anything uh, other than that one piece of information that you see on chain um and in the future you know in in the nice future where we have taproot and all these other things all this stuff is just going to look like single pub key spends, right? A two of two multi-sig yeah. looks like a single public key. It's just like funds being sent here, being sent here. Like it, it just looks like one person doing a bunch of weird activity or multiple people sending money one to the next to the next. Mm -hmm. um, things like this. Like you can't really easily distinguish um, DLCs in a Taproot world from normal activity, which is kind of the goal of Taproot, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not all that surprising that it would apply to something like a DLC. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess I guess I'm just trying to emphasize the fact that like uh, oracles are oblivious, and so is everyone else. Like <laughs> your contract is your contract, much like a lightning channel, right? Like unless the parties are like publishing or tweeting about their lightning channel, uh -huh. giving like information tying it to the blockchain, like no one else in the world knows that that lightning channel exists or what the balances in it are or mm -hmm. what other funky stuff you're doing using the lightning network um so dlcs are are kind of a very similar model uh, at least for doing an on-chain one with bitcoin where um you know put funds into a two of two multi-sig send funds out uh no one sees anything else everything else happened off chain mm -hmm. and in theory you could like if you have like a price oracle and say you want to cover all the prices bitcoin could be between zero and 10k 100k 1000k i don't know whatever um like zero and a million to make numbers nice um <laughs> and uh you know you you have payouts depending on on what these things are whatever the contract may be you don't necessarily want to have like a million cets um mm -hmm. and a million verifiably encrypted signatures that you have to generate uh so there are scaling solutions that uh, you can do and that I've been working on uh, quite extensively in order to compress the number of CETs. So I, I will say like in theory, all you do is you like make one trend, one closing transaction for every possible outcome. But in reality, you can be a bit more clever and be like, well, if I have this flat portion of my payout curve, say like over on the side, mm -hmm. like if it's anything less than blank, then it's just like this person gets all the money, something like this. Uh, in reality, you don't need to look at every single point and make a CET for every point on this flat line. You can like uh, do various tricks. Uh, if you don't get this, it's not important, but um, we have the Oracle sign each bit of the outcome individually. Okay. So like the, the binary digits of the number individually rather than the whole number. And this way, like if you look at some of the bits and you're like, oh, I'm in this flat part, I don't need to look at the rest of them then that way uh, you can like say if I ignore the last um, bit, then now I've turned two outcomes into just one CET. And then if I ignore like 10 bits, I've turned 1,024 outcomes into just one CET oh, and so on and so forth. Okay. So, um, and, and there's other stuff you can do too. We do a little bit of rounding, but only as much as the users are comfortable with, both users. Um, and some other stuff to, to create more flatness uh, mm -hmm. without 
while still having, um, th there's two proposals out there, a numeric outcome DLCs and multi-oracle DLCs that are relevant to this. But uh, essentially we've come up with fancy ways of making things practical, even when you're doing really complicated contracts like uh, contracts for difference, where like, I want a fixed USD amount in Bitcoin. So like we enter into this contract and if the price goes up, then um, I pay you. And if the price goes down, then you pay me. So I have a fixed USD amount um, regardless of what the price is. So like mm -hmm. say, um, yeah, essentially what I said, if, if the price goes up, now I have more USD. So I have to pay you to get the same amount of USD that I put in. And if the price goes down, then you have to pay me to compensate me, to keep me at that USD value. So I can like it, gotcha. it, a synthetic stable coin. There's no coin here. There's no token. There's no nothing. It's just Bitcoin. But um, there's a way of like holding a flat amount of something else in Bitcoin collateral. Yes. Um, and those contracts, like if you look at their payout curves, it's like a freaking hyperbola, right? It's not like a very simple curve. No. Um, but we can still very faithfully uh, execute that where you'll be within a couple cents of like what you want to be uh, in, in terms of the outcome and still have like only a couple thousand CETs. Mm. Um, which is very practical for, for a computer to handle, as opposed to like a million, which is much, much more. <laughs> um, and even if you're covering a million outcomes, it'll still just be like a couple thousand CEPs. So that was a foray into all the technical stuff that's going on. Um, if you're interested in that, we have a specification repo. So I'm part of the effort to write a specification for the DLCs, much mm -hmm. like they're the bolts for Lightning, uh, you know, BIP stuff for Bitcoin. Yep. Uh, we have... We don't have a fancy name for it yet. Uh, suggestions are welcome. But um, we have the, the DLC specs repo on GitHub um, where we are writing up a bunch of things. And we have like, uh, I think three or four different compatible clients at this point that can execute DLCs with, with one another uh, and do everything in a nice deterministic way. And uh, so yeah, if you're interested in the like nitty gritty details that I just went off the rails with, Go, go look over there where uh, all this stuff is um, specified and proposed. And you, you'll have to look at pull requests for th some of the things I just mentioned because it's not even merged yet. But. Is, is, will you be able to, uh, to provide a link? Yeah, uh, I'll, sure. add it to the, I'll add it to the show notes. Awesome. So, so look, I, I really appreciate you taking, taking us down. In, you know, yeah, in, take us back up, though. <laughs> no, no. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong, but like, mm -hmm. this is just absolutely incredible, right? We just went down the DLC, PTLC rabbit hole. Um, I've learned a whole lot more, so yeah. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, but I guess just real quick, so to, to take us way back up to a high level. <laughs> um, take us home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, not you know, get away. You know, we don't want end users thinking about Bitcoin transactions or verifiably <laughs> encrypted signatures. And, you know, this is just for for the pleasure of of the Bitcoiners at home. But um, you know, for, for those uh, who who have skipped ahead, welcome. Um, <laughs> DLCs let you execute uh, Oracle-based contracts using some thresh or some federation of your own choosing, which is oblivious of you. Uh, in order to execute whatever you want using those uh, price oracles or weather oracles or election outcome oracles or whatever it is you want to use. Uh, it's very simple to run an oracle, by the way. We have open source implementations to run oracles already. Um, so very low cost of entry. Um, and uh, the idea is that uh, regardless of whether you're on Liquid or Bitcoin or wherever else you may be or someday Lightning, we're working on that. Um, you will be able to execute these contracts 
entirely privately, incurring like minimal fees, if any, you know, if you're on lightning, probably not, not much fees going in there. But even if you're on chain, if you're doing big bets or something like this, or big financial contracts, it can make sense to go on chain because you only have two transactions. It's not that huge fee wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so again, I've, I've uh, started going into technical stuff. I'll pull myself back up. Uh, you can execute uh, all sorts of things. Um, you, can, you can do bets using Bitcoin collateral. You can do financial contracts using Bitcoin collateral. You can essentially execute any Oracle contract you want using Bitcoin collateral. Uh, and this is really, uh, I mean, it's, it's cool on its own, but mm-hmm. it, it gets even cooler when you like mix it with other stuff. So like, um, you know, mix it with lightning and all of a sudden you can execute like, or you can create synthetic assets uh, over lightning channels. Kind of, uh, if you've heard of the rainbow network, it's like that, but trust, <laughs> or much trust, no counterparty trust and like put all the trust in your federation of oracles, which is much nicer. And you can have like essentially uh you know s- stable coins on lightning but where the key point here is there's no token no stable coin no issuer no, no nothing it's literally just like a fancy way of using oracles and bitcoin to have exposure as if you were holding on to like some other asset that's over the lightning network, which you could send to other people and they would receive as sats right like Very they wouldn't receive it as your token it's just like a local thing where it, it acts like you have this so this is just one example of the many things that you can do when you compose DLCs with, with other things. So you really want to think of it as, um, or at least how I think of it, how I think of DLCs, as this is like a new primitive, like multi-sig or other things, um, where uh, we now have like this building block that we can use to build applications on top of Bitcoin mm-hmm. using the real world. So like, right, in order to do synthetic assets on the lightning network where like it looks like you have like golds that you can send over the lightning network or something like this mm-hmm. um you need to know what like the exchange rate is between gold and bitcoin or something like this um and so dlcs enable uh, essentially the minimized trust bringing in of truths from the real world mm-hmm. into bitcoin applications or really any applications that uh use blockchains but we're focused on the bitcoin ones yeah man the tough that that <laughs> was seriously i i really appreciate you it, taking us on this incredible adventure this serious deep dive uh into all this i mean this is this is really cool stuff yeah and really uh if, if anyone got lost along the way uh i we have a blog over at shirdbits at shredbits.com yep. slash blog, where I have written hopefully a little more coherently, <laughs> like an intro to DLC series. We have a PTLC series. I mean, it still gets technical here and there, but uh, you'll go at your own pace and you'll also, uh, it, it links out to resources. And I'm sure there will also be resources in the show notes here. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I guess anytime I find myself going off on technical rants, I want to remind people that like, I, I, don't necessarily expect everyone to follow me, especially on the first listen. Um, this is really just like, you know, we're trying to get your toes dipped into this this future world we're, we're going into. So just to let you know, this is the third time that I have heard you speak, okay, um, about this. And I'm coming closer to, understa- <laughs> to understanding maybe 10%. But I, I have to admit, awesome. I, feel, I feel good about that 10%. <laughs> 
That's good. Yeah, and especially if that 10% is the high level, right? It's, yeah, it's hard exactly. to know what you don't know when you only know the high level. So exactly. you know much more than you think, and you know the important stuff. Like, as I said, in the future, users won't have to know almost <laughs> any of this stuff. Like, you know at least what you need to know, uh, as, as I hope do the users. And hopefully, I will also improve as I uh, am speaking about this and working on it in the future. I will find better, ex like, shorter explanations in the future. Like, I don't know if you heard- Narrative um, compression. <laughs> I was on I was on Stefan Levera's podcast and I was trying to explain adapter signatures and I used the word signature like five times in one sentence and I was just like oh my I got to work on that um, and so now I have the verifiably encrypted signature way of looking about it we're we're getting better at explaining it I hope as well while everyone is getting better at understanding. So we'll, we'll meet in the middle someday. We're here to help with that, right? Yeah. You keep coming on our shows. You keep, you know, compressing the narrative and it's like, and this okay. Is as, this you is know? as good for me as it is for everyone listening. <laughs> awesome. No, I, I really appreciate it. So look, Nadav, I, I totally appreciate your time, man. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on my podcast. I really, uh, th this is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I always am, am down to spread the word about DLCs and other contracting things. I love it, man. Cheers. <laughs> See ya. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Nadav. That was super in-depth. Details to his contact information will be in the show notes. And as always, if you want to reach me, Twitter or Telegram, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you want to shoot me an email, I am CoinIcarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Thank you all for listening. Catch you all next time.